Well, if you have your Bible today, turn with me to Matthew 13, beginning in verse 3. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 3, we're going to go through verse 9, and then we're going to pick it up again at verse 18 and go through 23. So if you'll just kind of follow along with me, we'll uh, get it all together. The title of my message today is, There Are Four Kinds of People in the Church. And as I go through this, I want you to think about where you are and uh, which one of these groups uh, you fit into. Well, let's look at uh, the scripture. Then Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth on earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now look over at verse 18. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the world, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. You know, there is an incredible power in words. You remember Hitler. He uh, got together the German army, And he went all around the country making these fiery speeches, and people believed him. He had a a very, very powerful way of of presenting his word. And they went into world war, all because of what Hitler said and did. Karl Marx uh, put down some horrible words on a piece of paper, and communism was born. The pen is mightier than the sword. Our words make a real difference in every life, every day. How much more powerful are words when they are the word of God? Even Jesus' enemy said, No man spake like him in John 7. His astonished disciples cried out, Even the wind and the waves obey him. Mark 4, his disciples speaking his word in his name turned the world upside down with their teaching, Acts 17. 
There are many other passages in the scripture that talk about the power of words, of what you can do when you say and back it up with your life, when you're saying the right thing. If this is true, why isn't there more change in people's uh, ears and in their hearts and in their lives today who are hearing the word of God? Why isn't there more change? Many Christian leaders say it's because we do not open our hearts and our ears fully to the word of God. In this parable, Jesus tells us why. First, I want us to look at the sower. The sower is anyone who shares the word of God, especially the gospel portion of scripture. The greatest sower, of course, was Jesus Christ himself. Uh, He had great, great throngs of people following him, and the throngs uh, were just hanging on the edge of their seat to hear every word that was said. He is our example and our subject when we are witnessing for him. When you share your faith with a friend, when you teach a Sunday school class, When I preach from this pulpit, what we're doing in all these instances is we're trying to sow the word into the heart of anyone that will listen. Someone asked Abraham Lincoln what he thought of the new minister in town. And Lincoln said, not much. And the man said, well, why why do you say that? And Lincoln said, well, he has never challenged me to do anything great. You know, we uh, sow the seed, and sometimes people have some questions about what we've said or how we've acted or why we have done this or that, and then we have an opportunity to help them to do something great in their lives. We help them to get perhaps on a different road. I think the majority of Americans today are on the wrong road. I really do. I think they are on the wrong road, going in the wrong direction. And they need to be about something great, something powerful, something that will help them. I think everyone in the church ought to have some kind of a responsibility serving the Lord, uh, trying to involve themselves in the ministry that uh, is so needed. There are so many different things that we could do better if more people would help us. Many people rejected Jesus' message, and many people will reject yours. That's just the way it is. But we are not to stop sowing the word of God. We are to be faithful in this responsibility. Second, let's look at the seed. The seed, says Jesus, is the word of God. This is the whole counsel of God, all the teachings of God that are in the Holy Scripture, that we need to know. Uh, These are the marching orders. This is the instruction book for how people become believers and how they grow in in their faith. It is the proclamation of the purpose, of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is the story of his incarnation. It is the story of his sinless life of his sacrificial death. 
It is the story of his resurrection. It is the story of his ascension and his reign at the right hand of the Father. It is the invitation to all everywhere to repent and to believe and to be baptized and to try and have a holy life in an unholy world. Christians are supposed to sow the seed. But statistics that have been taken by many different groups say the same thing. They say 90% of the people that say they're Christians never tell one other person in their whole life about Christ. 90% of the people. The moisture that helps germinate the gospel seed is love. People will listen to you a lot more carefully if they know that you love them, you care about them, you want to be a friend to them, they'll listen carefully to whatever it is you might say. Love requires some sort of friendship, some bond that draws you together, some understanding that you have mutually with each other. When it's that way, you can share the gospel in a wonderful, wonderful way with those folks. Third, let us look at the soils. Uh, We have the sower who shares Christ. We have the seed, which is the truth of Christ's saving love. And then we have the soils. There's four kinds of soils mentioned in our text today. The four kinds of people, like those four kinds of soil, walk in the church door. And they respond differently. And I want to talk to you about uh, all the type folks that come and, and visit with us. And some that have been here for years. Number one, some people have a calloused heart. The fields of Palestine were marked with hard footpaths. You know, they didn't have any highways over there back then. And so the people that walked and the donkeys and the Uh, carriages and all that, they beat the ground down, and it was hard as a brick. And because the soil was packed so hard and so calloused, when a sower went by to sow some seed, the seed that fell on that path would just stay right on the very top because it was so hard. And the birds would come, of course, and eat the seed. Some people who come to church and hear the Bible are just like that. God's truth to them is for the birds. It goes in one ear and out the other ear. They no more understand what is being said than a goat understands Latin. They just don't understand it at all. The reason these people do not understand is that they're not interested. You know, if you're really interested in something, you find out all about it. You know, if you've got some new hobby, you want to find out all about it. So you get books and you do this and you ask questions and all that. If you're falling in love with somebody, you want to know every single thing about them. You want to know everything they think, everything they've done, everywhere they've been. You want to know everything about them. Well... Some come to church by compulsion. Uh, They're trying to please their family. 
or someone, but they're really not interested at all. Some come by custom because they have always done it. And they're really not interested at all. Some, like the Pharisees, came out of contempt because they hated God's spokesman. Some come for companionship with other people. But all of these come with a calloused heart. They're uninterested and therefore unable to receive the life-changing truth of the Word of God. Secondly, some people have a cowardly heart. The soil in Palestine uh, lies over a hard rock bed that covers really most of that country. Where the soil is very shallow, the seed will germinate and the little plant will start uh, growing. But pretty soon, the sun comes out and scorches it and it withers and it dies. This represents the cowardly hearer who comes to Christ, but in time of testing just withers away. When it uh, is of any kind of cost to them in time or ability or anything like that, it, it just withers away. Some people accept the gospel, but not all who accept it mean business. They claim to be converted, but they never stand with God's people. When there's an important vote on something. They are still in love with the world. And they still love the praise of the world. They rarely confess, if ever, Christ before men. And therefore, Jesus does not confess them before the Father. The blazing son of the parable, the soul that loves and pampers self, cannot endure it. They just can't endure that heat. Only the soul that is rooted and strong in the Lord can endure the persecution of the world and can say with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, there is the crowded heart. I don't know how many of you all have uh, been a farmer in your life at some point. The farmers know all about weeds and briars and critters that uh, come in at night or maybe even during the day and eat the crop that they have worked so very, very hard uh, to make. Every farmer has to deal with all that. Well, these folks uh, come to church and they may even take a job or two but they never really intend to sell out for Jesus. They never, never even think about doing that and take Christianity seriously. The Lord has a place in their lives, but it's never first place. There's too many other things. It's crowded. There's too many other things right in front of them. There's too many things over here and things over there and things way, way over there. These folks believe Christianity is okay in its place. In their hearts, King Jesus has been demoted to a corporal. Fourthly, there is the converted heart. And of course, uh, you know, we want everybody to be in this group. 
everybody's not, but we want everybody, and we pray that everybody, and we work and do all we can do to get everybody into this group. Some of the seed fell, as you know, on good, rich, deep, fertile soil. There are some places over there where it's like that. The plants appear and grow and bear fruit. It's a beautiful sight to the farmer. It is the same with the seed of the gospel. People hear the word, they hold on to it, and they patiently bear fruit in abundance. Sometimes a hundredfold, sometimes sixty, sometimes thirtyfold. These hearts are good in the sense that they acknowledge their sin. They recognize their need for Christ. And then they are willing to obey. Most everyone here has heard the word of God many times. I started going to church when I was a baby. I've heard uh, thousands of sermons. I've now preached thousands of sermons. Uh, After 54 years of uh, doing that, Have you committed yourself to the cause of Christ? No matter what the cost is, no matter if it costs you your life, if we do that, our hearts will be good or even great soil for the Word of God. The seminary professor told this story about one of his seminary students. The professor was walking down the hall and One of his students came up and said, Professor, I need your help. I need help with a funeral sermon uh, for my uncle. I I really need help with it. And the professor said, Well, I'm so sorry to hear about your uncle's passing. And the student interrupted him and said, Well, he's not dead yet. Why then, asked the professor, why are you writing his funeral sermon now? The young man said, well, his uncle was a very close friend of his, and they had been real close all of his life. He said the church in that area has witnessed to him over and over and over, but they've had no results, none. The professor then asked the student if he had ever witnessed to his uncle. And the student said, well, no, I haven't. The professor said, well, you go home and talk to him about the Lord before you uh, begin working on this funeral sermon. The young man said, okay. A few days later, the young man saw the professor in the hall again, and he had a big, big smile on his face, and he went up to him, and he he said, "Uh, professor, I've got a great, great thing to tell you. I witness to my uncle, and he trusted and believed in Christ as his Lord and Savior. It was just wonderful. And uh, he thanked me for telling him about the love of Jesus. Then the student said, my uncle said a very, very strange thing to me. He said he had never been shown that Christ loved him until that day. Now, You know if somebody had been visiting with him time after time after time after time, like the pastors of the church and the neighbors and the members of the church had done, uh, he had heard the gospel. He had heard about the love of Christ before that time. 
This was just the first time he was listening. You know, when the doctor comes in and says, uh, you're about to die. Some people began to think in, in different modalities. They began to think about, you know, I, I need to do something different here. I'm about to die. And they, and they do that. This is exactly what they do. For the first time in his life, this uncle was receptive to the word of God. For years, his heart had been calloused and cold. But God used a deathbed, a loving church, faithful pastors, and the love of this young nephew to help him open his heart and get ready for the glorious future that he was going to have with the Lord. We need to never give up. You know, I've heard a lot of people over my life say, well, you know, I witnessed to my whatever, my friend, my cousin, my uncle, my aunt. My children, I've witnessed to them and witnessed to them. It hadn't done any good, so I just give up. Well, don't give up. You know, that that doesn't help anybody. That doesn't uh, bring anybody into the kingdom. If you give up, then there's no word. No word for them. Perhaps there's somebody in this room today that's never really known how much Jesus loves them. That he literally died for you. That he literally gave up everything for you. And that he yearns for you to turn to him. And to give your heart and life in following him. I've told this a number of times and I apologize for repeating it, but Perhaps there are some here today that have not heard it. My mother and my father and my brother were all about as far away from God as you can get. And I would witness to them. And uh, my mother was the most vocal of the three, and she would always make some snide remark. And uh, she would always run down Billy Graham. She'd say, he's a name dropper. He just likes to use the names of big people that he's been around. He's just a name dropper. And I said, well, he's changed the destiny of millions and millions of people. Well, he's just a name dropper. That's what my mother would keep saying. Drove, drove me crazy. She just kept saying that. I kept witnessing to her. She didn't pay any attention at all to me. My father didn't pay any attention to me at all. My brother said, now that's for you. That's not for me. Didn't pay any attention to me at all. One day when my mother was 94, I got a call on the phone. It was the doctor from down in Venice where my mother was in a nursing home. And the doctor said, uh, Mr. Churchill, your uh, mother is dying. I thought I would uh, call you and let you know. So I thought, good night. So I went out, got in the car, drove to Venice, got down there at took about an hour and a half to get there, and I was thinking all the way there, I am not going to leave until she trusts in Christ as her Lord. I'm going to stay there. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to stay with it after 60 years of witnessing to her. I got there, and and I I thought, I'm going to do this differently this time. 
I went and I said, Mother, the doctor called me. He said you were going to die. And she said, yeah, he told me that too. I said, well, you know, all these years I've been trying to talk to you about Jesus. I said, you're going to die. I said, if you don't do this pretty quick, it's not going to happen. I love you very, very much. And I want you to be in heaven with me forever. And the only way that's going to happen is if you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And she said, okay. <laughs> so I, you know, I thought, well, that was a different, that was a different response. She didn't go into Billy Graham that day. So I started talking to her and I went through the whole thing. And I got down to the sinner's prayer and I said, uh, Mother, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And if you mean it, if you really mean it, then that will mean that you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. She said, okay. So I went through the sinner's prayer with her, and I was holding her hand and uh, got to the end, and I squeezed her hand, and I said, Mom, we're going to be in heaven together forever. She said, well, good. She lived four more years. <laughs> she was still a little rough around the edges <laughs> when she did die. But I believe that she'll be in glory when I get there, and I'm looking forward to that day. I had an opportunity after years and years and years of leading my brother to the Lord when he was on his deathbed, and he did die. My dad never gave verbal proof of his salvation, and of course that breaks my heart even till today. But you can't give up on it. You gotta stay with it. You gotta you gotta find the, the fertile soil. And if it's not the fertile soil, if it's the harder soil, then you gotta work with it. You gotta work with what you got. You gotta share and share and continue to share. Until they turn toward Jesus. The calloused heart can become the converted heart. The cowardly heart can turn around and take a strong stand for Christ. The converted heart knows the joy of walking with Jesus. The answers to the big questions of life. And the assurance of a heavenly home. That's what we offer today. If there's anyone in the room that has never publicly trusted and believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, let today be the day for crying out loud. Don't wait till you're dying. Make sure you're on the right side today. I'm going to stand down here at the front like I always do, and if there's somebody in the house that wants to trust in Christ, I'll help you with that. If you're here today and you need a church home and you've been thinking and praying about where you wanted to place your life in service, I hope and pray that it would be here and that you would slip out today and come forward. Join with us. Be a part of the team as we try and serve Christ in this part of Florida. Well, let's stand together as we sing. I'll be waiting here.